2: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
3: The following podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners.
0: From ID and Joke Productions, this is a special bonus episode of Unraveled. With updates on the Long Island Serial Killer investigation, plus a sneak peek at some of the other stories that are coming soon in this series. Hi, Billy.
3: Hello, Alexis.
0: Hello, everyone listening. Welcome to our bonus episode of Unraveled.
3: Yes, and we've been incredibly anxious to release a new episode, and we're finally here.
0: And I have to say, I'm very excited that we're doing this, because since we posted our final episode on the Long Island Serial Killer series, we've received a ton of of emails and tips from listeners asking for more.
3: And I think it's safe to say we have lots more because what you may not know is that our investigation into the Long Island serial killer case is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Unraveled. As you probably know, Alexis and I have been reporting on and producing true crime stories together for four years in both podcasts and on television. And in that time, we've come across so many stories that were just too complex to really dive into in a single podcast episode. I think we're all drawn to true crime stories, not just because we're intrigued by a murder or a murder mystery, but because ultimately at the heart of these stories are people that we can care about and we can relate to. And we felt that these people deserve the time to tell the stories without being cut short. And that's why we created the Unraveled podcast series.
0: And also we realized that by talking with so many people and digging just a little deeper, there's a lot to learn from them. Things that really do matter to everyone, whether you love true crime or not. To be a little bit more specific, speaking about Unraveled, it really is an anthology series made up of five completely different stories, each one of them fascinating and compelling in their own right. Billy and I take an in-depth look at each of them and investigate some very important topics that I guarantee will move you in so many ways. Some of them will leave you frankly, in disbelief. And others may open your eyes and raise your awareness to issues that you didn't even know existed. Later in this bonus episode, we'll give you a taste of our other investigations that will be appearing in the Unraveled Anthology series over the next several months.
3: So if you like this type of deep investigative reporting wrapped around thought-provoking topics, and you want to hear more from Alexis and I, just make sure you subscribe to this feed. And that way, you'll be sure to catch every new installment of Unraveled.
0: But first, we have new information to share on the Long Island serial killer investigation.
3: In our first installment of Unraveled, Alexis and I went back to our hometowns on Long Island to investigate the unsolved mystery of the Long Island serial killer. Over the course of seven episodes, we asked the question, why is this case still unsolved? And we believe the answer is the systemic corruption and cover-ups that pervaded the Suffolk County Police Department. At the center of our investigation was former Chief of Police James Burke, along with his longtime crony, former District Attorney Tom Spoda.
0: Here is current County Executive Steve Ballone from our interview with him in December 2020 and his comments on Burke and Spoda.
3: If you look at what this corrupt operation has done, and the fact that they would target people, they would look to ruin people's lives. And in some ways, you get the sense that they enjoyed doing it We have effectively ended that reign here, and there is new leadership with integrity That
4: is wiping out this culture of corruption.
0: Since our last episode on the Long Island serial killer case was released, Billy and I have received several tips from listeners. We've read all of them, and we want to say thanks to everyone who took the time to write to us. Keep them coming. We're following up on many leads and lots of new information. So, what's transpired since? Well, it may not come as a surprise that we have not heard from James Burke. By all accounts, he appears to be living a sequestered life in his Long Island home.
3: In a few minutes, we'll give you an update on Tom Spoda and some shocking new information regarding his legal case. As far as the Long Island serial killer case, there have been no arrests. But there are some curious details coming out of Long Island. To find out what's going on, we checked in with county legislator Rob Trotta. You may remember him as the man James Burke asked where to find a snuff film.
0: Have you, since the show aired in the podcast ran, have you heard anything else? Has anyone come to you with any stories or thoughts or well, anything? I, got,
4: I can tell you, listen, the one thing that sticks out in my mind was someone else coming forward to me. He's also a retired cop, and he goes, you're not going to believe this. Jimmy Burke asked me the same thing about the snuff film. About the same time, a little bit later, uh, in the late 90s, that uh, Jimmy Burke apparently asked him if he could get him a snuff film also. So it seems to be a common thread with them.
0: So Rob, since the airing of the podcast and the documentary, has anything big happened within the Suffolk County Police Department?
4: Oh yeah, the police commissioner quit. She just got up one day and said, that's it, I'm leaving. And was gone a week later.
0: Rob is referring to Geraldine Hart, who was hired as Suffolk County's police commissioner in 2018. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on Hart's decision to leave? and? taking the timing into consideration as well.
4: You know, I, I think, you know, based upon what I know and the inside knowledge of what I know, I think she just probably fed up. Just had it, you know, she could make more money at a smaller, you know, she's working at a college now as the director of security. And she'd probably make more money closer to home, less hours, and less aggravation. You know, granted, it's not as prestigious, but, you know, she has to deal with the politics of policing, which really is Infiltrated policing in Suffolk County here to the point where it's all political. It's, it's it's horrible.
0: Do you think Hart, as the commissioner, was in essence squeezed out, or do you think she really was trying to reform and saw that she wasn't getting anywhere and decided to depart on her own?
4: I think that over the past two years, the pressure that she got. You know, I think she's a good person. I think she really wanted to do something about it. But she's in a rock, you know, between a rock and a hard place.
0: Do you think Hart even stood a chance in making any significant change under those circumstances?
4: And I think her whole FBI background, her father being a cop, she wants to do the right thing. And this is what they do, they suck you in. You know, it's, 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 she had the greatest opportunity of anyone, a female former FBI agent. She could have came in and cleaned house. And what is she going to do? OK, because so she takes her orders from the county executive.
0: Rob, would you be surprised to hear that I heard from an anonymous source at headquarters that Hart wasn't allowed to hire her own assistant, that they were selected and installed by Ballone? Of course. That's common knowledge. As Suffolk County authorities deal with yet another change in guard, Billy and I are watching closely to see who will be leading the charge in the LISC investigation. In the meantime, I asked Rob about another story with big implications that keeps coming across our desk. Have you heard anything about a story at Newsday getting killed about... Well, it relates to the Guy Malone, Heather Malone divorced, James Burke, and Tom Spoda. Um, have you heard anything about a story getting killed over there a few years back? know oh,
4: many stories about it.
3: The story you're about to hear involves a Long Island resident named Guy Malone. In the late 1990s, his life inadvertently intersected with former police chief James Burke. After learning that Burke and his wife were having an affair.
4: All right, so Guy Malone actually came into my office and he brought a transcript of a deposition that Jimmy Burke was being deposed of because uh, Guy Malone's wife was having an affair with Jimmy Burke. So during the deposition, I guess, they were talking about how uh, he had been you know, caught with a prostitute prior, and they asked him, have you ever been with a prostitute? And apparently he says no during the deposition. And they knew he had been because of the the reader Backer story and, you know, that he was caught on in
3: internal affairs. The story that Burke lied under oath, along with the documents that proved it, was leaked to the daily newspaper Newsday.
4: So to make a long story short, I was told the story's coming out tomorrow, definitely gonna happen, and lo and behold, it never came out.
3: Trotta was told by multiple sources that the story was coming out. It was set to print. But at the last minute, something changed.
0: According to our sources, Newsday killed the story after receiving a phone call that included at least two people, Works former attorney and county executive Steve Ballone.
3: Our calls to the editor of Newsday at the time have gone unanswered. But I asked Steve Ballone about this incident, and this is what he said. There was a story that was going to come out in Newsday um, with further allegations. And we understand that you had a hand in killing that story. Do you remember that?
4: No, I have no idea what you're referring to.
3: Really? I have no recollection of any conversation like that. If, If there were times that that the communications office was um, working with the police department on pushing back on the story. You know, that was something they uh, they would do. But, but you, other than that, I have no- You don't remember being on a, on a phone call with Burke's attorney and Newsday? No.
0: That is truly unbelievable to hear.
3: Whenever you hear a story about Um, a potential piece that is going to be killed, you're always going to ask questions. Uh, The things that we found out that there was this phone call, uh, high level politicians talking to, uh, with a lawyer on the line, talking to the editors, and then the story never sees the light of day. This isn't, as far as Newsday goes, this is a story that once it got to that point, it wasn't just in the reporter's hands. It would have been through a reporter and another editor, and then it would have gone up to the higher editors. And the fact that it got to that point and w- it was able to be killed is pretty extraordinary. And it just shows the the power and the fear of, of at least that current regime. You know, normally, I know journalists who would never back down on any kind of threats or anything like that. We don't know exactly what was said on that call, but... <sighs> The fact that we've left messages with the editor, who was the editor at the time, and explained exactly what we were saying and what we were going to be talking about and that they haven't called us back is just really, it's a lack of transparency that you normally don't see in newspapers.
0: Right. And like you said, this wasn't a speculative piece either. To make it all the way up to the top of the chain at Newsday, this piece was going to run on a Sunday. It means it was corroborated. It was fact-checked. It was... A valid, reputable piece. And it was just unplugged like that. So it really is, it shows you just how much power the police have in this county, truly, even over the media. So whether Bologna was actually on this call or not is irrelevant. So either way, what this whole scenario shows us is that there was a Burkins a story that could have ran, that could have exposed the corruption sooner, and it didn't run. And that left Burke in power for a much longer time than it needed to be. And we have no idea how much damage was incurred to the county within that time.
3: As of May 2021, Tom Spoda is still awaiting sentencing after his conviction two years ago, when a federal jury found him guilty of helping to orchestrate the cover-up of Burke's assault on Chris Loeb. But very recently, there was another development in his case. In early May, the U.S. District Court unsealed records that showed more damaging allegations of Spoda and Burke's conspiracy to control Suffolk County.
0: In the documents, prosecutors point to evidence provided by their key witness, a former Suffolk County Police Lieutenant named James Hickey. Hickey told prosecutors that Spoda and Burke openly plotted ways to get then-county executive Steve Levy out of office. Why? Why? so they could clear the way for a new county executive who would let them pick their own police commissioner. That way, Burke and Spoto would have total control over the police department.
3: Spoda's office launched an investigation into Levy's campaign finances and threatened suit, thus forcing Levy to resign. Their plan to ask Levy worked. A new county executive was elected, who then hired James Burke as chief of police. That county executive was Steve Ballone, the same person you heard a few minutes ago denouncing James Burke and Tom Spoda and all of the corruption within his police department. Steve Ballone insists he was elected by the people of Suffolk County, and he had nothing to do with the Levy-Spoda affair.
0: Here's Rob Trotta again. Well,
4: what's he going to say? Oh, yes, I did. I knew all about it. We're going to do this.
0: Oh, he'd
4: never say that. You know, I'm not saying he was involved in it. I have no knowledge of that. But, you know, it wouldn't it doesn't take Perry Mason to figure out that uh, he was next to him.
0: Do you think Suffolk County Police Department or Suffolk County government really can ever be without corruption as long as Steve Ballone is still the county executive?
4: No. I do not think so. Why? Because we have systemic corruption in Suffolk County. Not a doubt in my mind. It's right down to the core.
0: Finally, I asked Rob about the Lisk investigation. Have you heard any word about any good work being done on Lisk lately?
4: I have no, nothing. I don't, I don't know. You would think that Jerry Hart if it was something she would have tried to pull it out of her hat before she left. I don't have any knowledge of that.
0: Right, no, no inside knowledge, but do you feel as though the case is getting the attention it deserves now? Yeah,
4: I think it is. I mean, honestly, I don't know. I, I wish I could say that in good faith, yes, but given the the, the mess this department is, you know, has gone through, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, you would think, you would think it would be, but I don't know.
3: After the break, Alexis and I uncovered some secrets related to the Lisk investigation on our own. Then, a sneak peek at our other investigations you'll soon be able to hear in the Unraveled Anthology series. So let's move on to some other discoveries that have come to light about the Long Island serial killer case since we last spoke with you. You may recall that in early 2020, Suffolk County Police Commissioner Geraldine Hart held a press conference to announce the creation of GilgoNews.com a website designed to be a clearinghouse of information for the Long Island serial killer investigation. It was Suffolk County's attempt at transparency in this case and to show the public they were still working on solving the murders. But when Alexis and I took a closer examination of this website, there are some secrets about the investigation that may have been accidentally exposed. The first has to do with the now infamous Belt Evidence,
0: In that first press conference, Commissioner Hart revealed to the public a photo of a belt. Here she is discussing it. We believe that the belt was handled by the suspect and did not
1: belong to any of the victims. We are not providing the specific location where the belt was found, and additional information on this item will not be available at this time. We are hopeful that this photograph will bring somebody forward with information
0: about the origin of that article. Commissioner Hart didn't reveal where the belt was found, or much more for that matter. Then, in December of 2020, Hart held another press conference. This time, the commissioner showed more photos of the belt, which were then posted on gilgonews.com. And that's when we spotted an unintentional clue. At the end of the URL address for the web page that contained the belt photos, if you looked closely, you would see a name, Barnes. This apparent mistake was quickly corrected and the URL address was changed, but not before it had already been spotted. This signifies to us that the belt may have some connection to Maureen Brainerd Barnes, one of the Gilgo Four victims. Why else add that victim's name to the photo of the belt? Perhaps, because it was found closest to
3: Maureen. We caught yet another hidden clue that we weren't supposed to see. At the end of that same URL address, we spotted the words, no glove written inside parentheses, thus implying that there is another photo with evidence of a glove, evidence that we've never heard or seen before. So that begs the question, whose glove is it? What does it look like? Where was it recovered? Maybe the killer's DNA could be on the glove. When will the Suffolk County Police Department release photos of this glove? If they claim transparency, what are they waiting for?
0: In a previous episode, Billy and I raised the question, why is Shannon Gilbert included as a victim on the Gilgo News website when police have said over and over and over that she died by misadventure, which is a death due to an unintentional accident? But what's also strange is who isn't on the website. The victim known as Peaches, that's the nickname given to the unidentified victim based on a tattoo she had of a heart-shaped peach. It might be because Peaches' remains were discovered a couple miles across the border of Nassau County, which, if this is the case, that's the kind of jurisdictional nonsense that prevents a lot of serial killing cases from getting solved. But even more puzzling is that the victim known as Toddler is on the website. And we already know that Peaches is the toddler's mother. So why aren't they listed together?
3: And there's one more mystery buried inside the Gilgal News website. For a long time, there's been speculation about another victim in the Long Island serial killer case. His name is Andre Jamil Isaac. The six foot three, 25-year-old Isaac was last seen getting into a red sports car outside his apartment in East New York, Brooklyn in 2003. His dismembered remains were found in various Long Island locations over the following year. The portion of his torso found in Far Rockaway was dressed in a bodysuit and skirt. His head, found by an ice skater two months later in Mariches, which, like Gilgo Beach, is on the south shore of Long Island, albeit 39 miles east, had a bullet in its temple. SugarBear is not included in the list of victims that appears on the Gilgo News website. But here's a little secret. SugarBear's victim profile is there. It's just hidden from public view. If you click on any of the victims' names who are visible, it takes you to a separate page with that victim's backstory. But if you take that same web address and manually replace the victim's name with Andre Isaac, you can now see the information for SugarBear.
0: So, our question is, if Andre Isaac's information is included on a website set up by the Suffolk County Police Department as part of the LISC investigation, then why haven't they mentioned him in connection with this case before? And more importantly, why isn't his information visible for the public to see? Billy and I agree that the importance of all of this information remains to be determined, whether it's the belt, a possible glove, or any connections to Sugar Bear as another victim. These oversights by Suffolk police can be chalked up to either sloppiness or incompetence. But one thing is for sure. If the Suffolk County Police Department wants to be more transparent with the public, like they claim to want to be, they still have a long way to go.
3: Alexis and I will continue digging into the Long Island serial killer case, so please keep the tips coming. You can email us at unraveledtips at gmail.com. And if we hear any new information, we'll reveal it to you here. But until then, there are four new investigations that we are excited to share with you. And after the break, a sample of each one of them. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me
0: because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: Like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Alexis and I have been working on four other investigations that we'll be dropping into the same feed over the next several months. Here's one of them coming later in 2021. Over the years, there have been a lot of polarizing, high-profile murder mysteries that have captured the public's imagination, from the mega trials of decades past like O.J. Simpson to the more recent dramas of Casey Anthony and Amanda Knox. But
0: few people would add the case of Bob and Diane Ward to that list, let alone have even heard of it. Yet, it's one of the most compelling true crime mysteries that we've ever come upon. In this nine-part series, we'll explore the unusual case of Bob Ward, a wealthy real estate developer accused of murdering his wife in 2009. The story begins with a shocking call to 911.
2: Now what's the emergency? I just shot my wife. You just what? I just shot my wife.
0: That's Bob Ward flatly stating that he just shot his wife before calmly asking for someone to send the police.
3: Bob Ward is arrested and charged with second-degree murder, and a media firestorm erupts. He
1: basically just admits that I shot my wife. She's dead on the floor. The neighborhood that is it's in is so exclusive. It kind of has all the trappings of a hot news story.
3: But no one in his own family thinks that Bob is guilty.
0: I found out about my dad being arrested on the news Millionaire Bob Ward arrested for the murder of his wife. What the media didn't play was him saying there's been an accident. It
2: was a tragic accident. And that's what my sister's death was. As horrible as it is, as much as I miss her, um, I never, ever thought that Bob was guilty.
3: Through interviews with prosecutors, forensic experts, and family and friends, we'll dig deep into the lives of the Ward family and investigate what really happened to Diane Ward inside her master bedroom.
1: Well, when she loses her temper, it's breathtaking. I had never experienced anything like it. Her drinking wasn't the problem. It was the medication she was taking. If if the bullet didn't kill her, the drugs would
0: have. We will try to answer the question. Is Bob Ward really the cold-blooded killer he's been made out to be? Or did a murder even happen at all?
1: I believe that they argued. He snapped, got the gun, and shot her.
3: It is so stupid that it blows my mind that, that, that the state could make such an argument, but they didn't have anything else to work with. It's a question that, to this day, haunts everyone involved with this case.
2: That's disgusting to me. This woman was dead. And there was no doubt in my mind that he did it. At some point, someone should stand up and say, hey, no one that knows this family thinks he actually did this.
3: And before it's all over, you'll hear what Bob says happened that night from Bob himself.
2: Hello. This is a prepaid debit call from Bob Moore, an inmate at the DMS Blackwater
0: River Facility. Here's another preview of a new investigation we'll be releasing as part of the Unraveled series.
3: In 2018, the Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo, was tracked down after 45 years through the pioneering technique of genetic genealogy. The thought was that dozens of serial killers would be caught with this new technology. But when we looked closer, we discovered something we were not expecting.
0: In the majority of cases being solved by genetic genealogy, the killer was found to be someone with no apparent felony record, prior or after committing their heinous crime. Contrary to the widely held belief that these cold cases were likely perpetrated by serial killers, suddenly, a different brand of killer was emerging. The one and done.
3: The revelation? There could be countless one and done killers quietly living among us. and We have no idea who they are.
0: In December of 1992, 25-year-old school teacher Christy Merak, was viciously raped and murdered in her Pennsylvania home.
3: For 26 years, Christie's murder remained unsolved. Until 2018, when Lancaster detectives used genetic genealogy to identify her killer. Someone who had never been on the police's radar.
2: Here is somebody who's so well-known, right under everybody's nose.
3: It was very shocking because... It was somebody
0: that was well-known in in our community.
3: I'm like, you got to be kidding me.
0: Knowing that it was this person who was the polar opposite of everything police had been looking for, that was what was so jarring. This disturbing case suggests a grim reality. There could be many, many more one-and-done killers out there. And they are living everywhere around us.
3: Alexis and I are deep into another unraveled investigation that will make you question anything you've ever seen on the witness stand. If you ever saw the 1992 movie My Cousin Vinny, then you probably remember the scene where Marisa Tomei's character testifies as an expert in a murder trial. That was because she had experience working as a car mechanic.
4: Can you tell me... What would the correct ignition timing be on a 1955 Bel Air Chevrolet with a 327 cubic inch engine and a full barrel carburetor?
2: It's a bullshit question. It's impossible to answer.
1: Impossible
2: because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. The correct ignition timing would be four degrees before top dead center.
3: Her testimony ultimately leads to defendants being acquitted of murder. Now, that was a comedy, but there are real-life forensic experts who take the stand day in and day out in courtrooms all over the country who may not be so precise. We
0: discovered inconsistencies that are so bad, it would be funny if it weren't so terrifying.
3: This stuff ballistics fingerprint, uh, you know, even bite mark, uh, shoe, shoe pattern analysis— These had been admitted in case after case after case after case, grandfathering in irrationality.
0: Through interviews with judges, prosecutors and defense attorneys, jury members and forensic experts themselves, Billy and I are diving into the controversial business of trial experts.
4: Very little oversight. And if you research some of these so-called areas of expertise, You know, the requirements to get involved in a case, analyze evidence, and then give sworn trial testimony
3: is very minimal. How much trust should we have in the testimony of experts? How are we supposed to decide whose quote-unquote scientific interpretations of crime scenes are correct? And can we trust that the experts who are called to the stand are qualified to do so?
4: Blood patterns you don't learn by going to a two-week school. Blood patterns, it takes a long time to be able to uh, interpret. You have to have some experience in seeing it over and over and over again. And having done that in working a lot of cases uh, around the country, and in my career, it's been thousands of them, uh, it gives you an opportunity to be able to provide opinion that they never train you on, that, that you don't get trained on.
0: That investigation, and the others you just heard about, will all be released as part of the Unraveled podcast series. But first up is our brand new investigation, coming in June.
1: He is one of the most dangerous people I've ever had to investigate. His victims have been devastated for decades.
3: For the past three years, Alexis and I have been treading on the heels of a dangerous, modern-day criminal. He's vengeful, he's relentless, and he's impossible to hide from.
0: He has been using the internet to terrorize an untold number of victims for the past 30 years. Some of them he met in person, others he targeted through online communication only. But either way, his vicious cyber-stalking has evolved over time into real threats against his victims' spouses, their families, their jobs, and even their lives.
3: His name is Jason Christopher Hughes, and here is just a sample of what his victims have endured in their own voices.
2: I started getting emails from him, um, burned infants, wishing death upon my child. He told
1: me he'd used a 22 to kill someone before, and it wouldn't hurt him to kill more people. I felt like he'd shoot me going to my car or something.
3: He emailed me that he was uh, still watching me, and uh, I better keep paying attention to my surroundings. I never knew which, which shadow he'd step out of. I was scared of him.
0: Jason Christopher Hughes' threats weren't empty words either. His attacks had real-world consequences and upended people's lives.
1: His victims have been devastated for decades. My bosses, just like, I don't know, but you have to fix this or you're going to be in trouble.
3: So what happened with that job?
0: They fired me. Jason got to my husband and just left it all in ashes. That pretty much took like any reconciliation possibility off the table. He does have the ability to just completely ruin your entire life.
3: In order to understand Jason Christopher Hughes, we went further than his victims could and tracked down members of his own family, including his mother and sister.
4: He was brilliant. You have to understand, he brilliant beyond words, but he feels rejection very acutely. He saw things in black and white all the time. And if something hurt him, he got angry.
2: Oh, he was mean. He was always an ass, but it's not like he just woke up and was this way. He was definitely created. Jason Christopher
0: Hughes has grown and adapted with the ever-changing world of cyber technology. Learning how to hide his identity from authorities and cloak his actions in a way that has made him untouchable for decades.
3: And when we saw just how little recourse his victims had to protect themselves, and how woefully inadequate the laws were, it became clear that legislation continues to lag behind technology. Allowing predators like Jason to thrive.
0: Keep an eye out for Unraveled, the stalker's web. Coming to this podcast feed on June 16th, 2021. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Vincent, Biagio Messina, and Jeff Koontz, along with myself, Alexis Linkletter, and Billy Jensen. Executive producer for I.D., Thomas Cutler. Additional producing and writing by Mike Gattinella and Eric Smith. The music and score that you've heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina. Make sure to check for all new episodes of Unraveled in this feed by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcasts that you enjoy listening to. Thank you for listening and for your support.